Hallelujah, Jesus. So go ahead and continue to praise the Lord together. Hallelujah, Jesus. Aren't you thankful that he pulled you out of darkness into his marvelous light? Woo! He pulled me out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock to stay. Oh, he put a song in my heart, even praise unto the Lord. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, I've got to cry out hallelujah. I've got to dance. I've got to jump. I've got to shout. You may not understand it, but maybe because you forgot what God has done for me. You may not be shouting. You may have forgotten, but I remember I was a sinner. I was lost. I was confused, but the light showed up. Rejoice not against me, oh my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord is my light. Oh, somebody just dance unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Praise breaks are never too long. (laughs) If anything, they're not long enough. Hallelujah. Praise breaks are never out of order. (laughs) You know, there's one verse of scripture. Now, I'm not preaching from this, but it's just a good scripture. It's in the Bible. It's at the end of a chapter. It's the very end. It's like the fine print. You know, at State Farm Insurance, it's like... (laughs) Paul, after teaching about the gifts of the Spirit, he puts it in the fine print at the bottom. And let everything be done decently and in order. But if I'm just being honest, I have yet to be in a church service where we had to say, okay, Bishop, you, you need to come get us back in order here <laughs> I have yet to be in a service where we've had to say hang on we, we gotta we gotta go to this verse of scripture here because there, there's too many running the aisles at the same time you, you're getting too loud you're worshiping too much <laughs> we're supposed to be decent and in order 
We have yet to get to a place where we've had to preach from that verse of scripture. But I know it's in there for a reason. Because I believe as the Lord in these last days joins the letter and the former reign together. I believe that one baptistry is not going to be enough. We're going to have to have makeshift baptistries lined up all over the sanctuary. We're going to have so many people lined up to get baptized and so many people wanting to receive the Holy Ghost. There will have to be a call to order and say, now just hang on for a second. We got to go one at a time and keep this in order. But we're not there just yet. So you don't have to worry about getting out of order. When we need Bishop to get us in order, we'll bring him up here and say, hey, now hold on a second. But we're not there yet. So don't ever feel out of place to just keep on worshiping. I believe we're in a church. You don't need an invitation to worship. You don't need an invitation to praise. You don't even, for me, you don't need an invitation to be at this altar. You're going to come to this altar anytime you just come to the altar. Amen. Amen. I want to read just a verse of scripture before you're seated. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 7. While you're turning there or looking at the screen, I'll tell you, we did have, that happened one time when I was preaching at the uh, Southern California District. They call it the SoCal District. I was preaching at the SoCal District Camp Meeting, day services. And you know, day services are supposed to be boring and God's, you know, doesn't show up till night services or something like that. And I was like 10 minutes into my sermon and I was so nervous. This is my first camp meeting. You know, I've done, I preached some youth camps and I'm preaching a camp meeting. And Brother Jack Cunningham is the night speaker and I'm just up there just, oh God, you know, don't say the wrong thing. And just 10 minutes into the first sermon, all of a sudden I, I see someone in the corner of my eye come like running up real fast and stand right here. And I not- and at the same I noticed I had been kind of standing on some wires and cords and for just whatever reason... I assumed it was a sound guy. It was my own insecurity. I thought it was, oh, it must be one of the sound guys coming up here and saying, stop standing on the cords, you know. And I looked over. I said, I'm sorry. Am I standing on the cords? Am I messing up the the sound? And he looked at me like, what? And then I realized, wait, I'm sorry. Do you need something? He said, I need the Holy Ghost. (laughs) He was literally a drug addict off the streets. That one of the, when one of the Pentecostal people were walking from their hotel to the convention center, they just witnessed to him, and he ended up stumbling in there, half high, half drunk, and he just couldn't contain himself anymore. <laughs> he came running up to that altar 10 minutes into my sermon in a camp meeting day service, and everybody just sat there starchy, looking like, what are we supposed to do now? And I was kind of thinking the same thing until I realized what we do in Africa and Bangladesh and Asia and other places. They, they don't have an agenda there. They just go and follow the Holy Ghost. And I said, well, if they can do it over there, we can do it here in SoCal. I just walked up there. I said, if you want the Holy Ghost, then lift up your hands and get the Holy Ghost. And God gave them the gift of the Holy Ghost right there. They took them to the fountain outside and baptized them in Jesus' name. And, and I got back to my sermon. 
and it was back to decent and in order. Deuteronomy 8 and 7 says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. Well, that that was a good verse. Let's keep reading. I think it gets even, even gooder. Verse, go down to verse 9. It says, he's bringing you into a land which you will eat bread without scarcity. In other words, you're not going to be hungry. You're going to eat a lot. And everybody said, amen. Is your Daniel fast over yet? Ready to eat. In which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, everybody say full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Amen. I, I, I feel so full right now in my spirit that there's no way I could deliver everything the Lord would have for me to say in one service. So I think I might stay a little while. <laughs> a few more weeks maybe. But I do want to at least begin to deliver my heart to you tonight and talk to you about being positioned for the miraculous. Being positioned for the miraculous. Would you just say in Jesus' name? You may be seated in Jesus' name. And so you know the clock has been running since I've grabbed the microphone. I will deduct the time that I've already spoken from the remainder of my sermon tonight. Amen. Positioned for the miraculous. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was Sunday morning, if I recall, I preached about the Spirit of God and I dealt with the passage of Scripture from 2 Timothy in chapter 1 when Paul tries to convince his son in the gospel, Timothy, in his last letter he would ever write, giving it to his son in the gospel, he did his best to convince Timothy that, Timothy, I am persuaded That there is genuine faith in you. He says, I saw it in your grandmother and in your mother. And I know it's in you. In his last letter, he almost pleaded with exhortation. Trying to convince Timothy to believe himself. Believe! There is faith in you. I know you've struggled over the last several months. I know I've been quarantined under house arrest for the last seven years. And we've not been able to travel together. And we've not been able to dine together and do the things we normally do. But there's still faith in you. And in the next verse, he says, so Timothy... It's not enough, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says, it's not enough for me to remember and be persuaded. You've got to remember. He says, so I put you in remembrance to stir up the gift of God that is in you by the laying upon of hands. I I was there when you received it. I, I was a witness. I'm a testimony to that. I know it's there. So Timothy, remember 
Stir up the gift of God that is already there. It's in you. The next verse he says, because God didn't give you the spirit of fear. What had he heard? What did he know about his son that would cause him to try to persuade him that he was full of faith? To try for him to try to persuade him to remember to stir up the gift of God. What, what did he hear about his son in the gospel that caused him to deliberate as it were with him? To understand that God didn't give him the fear that he was dealing with. He must have heard that Timothy had been battling some sort of fear, anxiety, nervousness. Maybe he was facing persecution of his own. And Paul said, Timothy, the fear that has been knocking on your door is not from God. Stir up what is from God. Because God has given you power, love, and a sound mind. In the next verse, and he says, be therefore a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. And he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of God, nor of the fact that I am a prisoner. Be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Talking about, he says something along the lines of them, them being the power of, of God, these afflictions of the gospel, which to me, afflictions of the gospel seems like such an oxymoron because gospel is supposed to be good news. Afflictions are bad news. He says, be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, the, the afflictions of the good news. Paul often spoke about suffering. And if you remember, maybe you don't. I don't expect you to remember, but when I preached I, I, I last or a couple of weeks ago, I, I referenced the fact that Paul was not initially initially a partaker of afflictions himself. For in Acts chapter nine, when he was converted to Christianity, spent a few days with the disciples, and immediately began preaching. And that same night, he heard a rumor that people were trying to kill him. And in his first encounter with persecution, the same persecution he had been inflicting upon others, he knew what he was about to go through if they caught him. So he fled. He ran. But at the end of his life, he's saying, don't run from the affliction. Welcome them in. Absorb them. Be a partaker of the afflictions. Somewhere along the way between Acts 9 and Acts 16, he understood the opportunity of opposition. He understood the anointing of affliction. He understood the blessing of the storm. He talks oftentimes about his sufferings. He tells Timothy in the same book, chapter 3, he says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He says to the church in Philippi, which by the way is where he was jailed in Acts 16 with Silas after being severely beaten and thrown into the inner dungeon and at midnight he was praying and singing hymns to God. 
converted the jailer, converted, I know he converted many prisoners. He converted the jailer and he converted the entire jailer's house. And to that church he wrote in Philippians 1.27, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Going back to this letter to Timothy, he said to him, Timothy, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. And one of the more famous scriptures on this topic of suffering and affliction, Paul says to the Romans in chapter 8, 18, he says, for I reckon, do you know Paul was a southerner? He said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. Watch this. In us. The same place where persecution is inflicted upon us, glory is revealed in us. Hmm. It's difficult it's a, diff, it's a difficult thing, obviously, to submit to pain. I, for one, have, have zero pain tolerance. I read somewhere that redheads have a higher pain tolerance. I don't know if that's true or not. I guess there's one way to find out, right? <laughs> I don't know. They, some people say when light hits my hair right, it looks a little reddish, but I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but, but I don't think I'm a genuine redhead, but... I am not one who enjoys suffering or pain. I'm not the type that when it's raining, I smile and look up and say, isn't the Lord good? In fact, I think those people are weirdos. (laughs) When somebody stubs their toe and they say, thank you, Jesus. I think you are demon possessed. must be honest that facing the greatest tragedy of our lives, my wife and I, over the last few months, I, I had always thought that going through something like we went through losing a child, that there would be a great testimony of those who are close to me who would say, man, even though he lost his daughter, he just kept on believing, kept on singing, kept on shouting. He just kept on praying. He was at the church every day. In fact, he was there earlier. He stayed later. He was there longer. He went deeper. But yet, the Lord revealed to me really what was in my heart through that suffering. It revealed that I didn't have the type of faith that I really thought I had. That's all right. I'm glad to know because now I see the things that I can work on and allow God to develop and shape. And I've understood the truth that I really can't fit into his image until he breaks me of my image. It's like a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. It's just not going to work. You've got to break it down and you've got to carve it down. And then all of a sudden I can become molded into his image. That's why I bring to you the passage from Deuteronomy. It speaks of their time in the wilderness the Israelites, of course, and in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2, 
The scripture says, and you shall remember. Would everybody say remember? Remember. It's difficult to remember the Lord in times of suffering and persecution. At least I should say it's difficult to remember his goodness. It's difficult to remember what he has done and what he's going to do. Oftentimes we're just stuck on the hope that he's going to do something. Where is he? Why hasn't he answered? But here concerning their suffering in the wilderness, the scripture says, and you shall remember the Lord, your God. He led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart to know what was in your heart if you continue reading watch this this is amazing to me uh in verse three just just keep that little piece in your mind to know what was in your heart verse three he humbled you and allowed you to hunger we're talking about Jesus, not Judas. (laughs) We're talking about our everlasting father here allowing his child to go hungry. Any good father would not tell their son or their daughter, I've got good news for you today. You get to go to bed hungry. My wife would slap me. It's inevitable every, every day, every night. I prophesy it will happen tonight. My wife will try to feed my son dinner at at the prescribed time of dinner. and He'll eat two or three bites and say, I'm full. I know he's not full. He just wants to get up and go play. About 30 minutes later, time for bed. I'm hungry. We have tried. I'll admit, I confess. We have tried to break him of this habit by saying, well, you're hungry. You're going to bed hungry. But I'm hungry. Okay, just come over here and get a few bites. Huh? I, my wife is, is a much better parent than I am. So I, we both have done this. And, and, and I caught her do it just a couple nights ago. He came down. He said, time for, she said, time for bed. He didn't eat his dinner. And she says, time for, it's time for bed. And he goes, but I'm hungry. She said, uh-uh, you going to bed hungry then. But I'm hungry just a couple of bites. No, you're going to bed hungry tonight. I looked around the corner and she's slipping him some blueberries. Here, hurry, eat these real quick. <laughs> Walked out like she was all tough. No, I caught you. No, I'm kidding. I'm thankful. What kind of parent, what kind of father would allow their children to hunger? He says, I allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord see he's saying you can't truly know that your sustenance (laughs) that your persistence that your tenacity is not in food, 
But in the word of God, unless he puts you in a position where you can't eat food and all you have is the word of God. Watch this. This is amazing. Verse four, he says, your garments did not wear out on you. Your clothes didn't wear out, man. That'd be pretty cool. Nor did your foot swell these 40 years. So let me speak it plain. He protected the outside. But tested the inside. He said, I allowed you, first of all, to go into Egypt. I led you to Egypt. 430 years. Bondage, slavery, persecution, affliction. And then when it was time to go to the promised land, I led you out and into a wilderness. Because before I could take you in, I had to test what was inside of you. Oh, I was taking you to a good land, but before we got there, I had to test what was inside of you. Not for me to know, but for you to know. It's like that sponge may look dry and clean and everything good on the outside you squeeze it and boom you reveal the contents within and sometimes the position that God puts us in is a position of pressure a place of pressure a place a tight place did you know that I believe it's in Hosea chapter 5 and 15 if I'm correct that says, at the end of the verse, it says, in their affliction, they will seek me early. I've mentioned that verse here before. And, and in their affliction, they will seek me early. In other words, they're going to seek me in an uncomfortable time of day. They're going to get out of bed. They're going to put themselves in an uncomfortable place, get out of their comfort zone when they're in affliction. They might hit the snooze a few times when they've got it made in the shade drinking lemonade. But in their affliction, that's when they will seek me early. The word early literally translates in Hebrew to to diligently seek early. Diligence. But the, the word affliction, I looked that up in the Hebrew and it literally translated to a tight place of distress. I know I've echoed a few of these things, but I'm trying to deliver where I feel this church is right now. The affliction is a tight place of distress that squeezes you. You know what has happened at least over the last several months? And I know it didn't just start with the COVID-19 and the shutdown and chaos and everything else, but my wife has seen it in the sparse travels that we have maintained over the last several months, we have noticed a squeezing in the body of the church, a squeezing a tight place. As if the Lord says, I led you there and I allowed you to hunger to reveal what was in your heart. What we have noticed, my wife picked up on it first and we, we went to a couple churches where we frequent every year, sometimes multiple times a year, as many times a year, and no, getting to know the saints and, and the, the gifts of that body and the working of that body, if, if you don't mind me using it that way. We, we got to know sort of the, the identity, the nature of, of, of different churches as we go there frequently, understanding 
who specifically are used in what gifts in a body in a church. And we've gone to some churches over the last several months and my wife picked up on it. She said, did you notice how there was tongues, but, but there was no interpretation And the two or three people that normally give interpretation. They were silent. They didn't say anything. There were several times there was God spoken tongues, but there was no interpretation. The people that normally speak it, they, they went silent. Because there's a tight place that we're in. And we don't know sometimes how to operate in a tight place. We don't know how to act sometimes when God is positioning us. We've noticed. I want to be very careful. I don't want to be insensitive at all. But I I want to. I'm speaking to the body tonight. For those of you online that may not frequent this church. Or a member of this church. just, Just bear with us tonight. I feel a word for this body here. And I feel the Lord is taking us into a good land. I feel to let you know that as we have traveled some been to some churches, we've noticed this squeezing taking place, not just in us, but in churches around. And the interesting thing that when a sponge or when something is squeezed, revealing the contents, it reveals the good and the bad, reveals, reveals the bad and the good. And it's difficult. It's so difficult to discern the good when all of a sudden we're seeing the bad I have seen my wife has seen and again I don't want to be insensitive but we have seen the squeezing of this tight place produce a falling away of believers that we never thought would have fallen away in the lay people and the saints and in the ministry alike ministers have withdrawn ministers have resigned not all ministers but there have been a few that i know who have resigned a couple even backsliding and you're thinking never in a million years would anyone ever assume that they were struggling there's probably somebody that used to sit to your left or to your right your front or your back that you can think my god i haven't seen them since before all of this i haven't seen them in months We need to continue reaching for them. Here's why. Because on the flip side of that, as we have realized there have been some who have fallen away in that squeezing, we've also noticed there have been some that have come to life, that have drawn closer to God, being used the power of His Spirit. People, and I hate to say this, This should never be the case, but people that I may have never assumed, man, that person's really going to be on fire one day. Maybe in my flesh, I would have doubted that. But all of a sudden, during this squeezing, that squeezing has revealed something. It has revealed, while it's revealed the bad, it has revealed the giftings of the body that you didn't realize were there. Maybe you haven't seen it yet. Just hold on. Let God keep squeezing. Because while he has revealed some of your tendencies and consistencies and weaknesses, if you let him keep squeezing, the giftings and the purposes and the direction and the calling is going to surface. Things that have been there all along that you did not know were there. As Paul said, 
Timothy, there's faith in you. Whether you know it or not, Timothy, I know you might have fallen away a little bit. I know you might have gotten a little dry and barren. And I know you may have lost your joy for a season. But I know there's faith in you. So stir up the gift of God. I mentioned this at Wynn's conference, but I really feel, I really feel for the Lord to share this here, that for us, my wife and I, when this whole thing began for us in March of last year, everything was shut down and our schedule evaporated like that, our evangelistic schedule, I remember thinking, well, now what, God, what am I going to do? And I remember starting to feel that tight place of distress, that pressure that God began squeezing on me. And the first thing God revealed to me was a weakness of mine that I didn't know was there. And that was that my walk with God was mainly motivated by my ministry. I didn't realize that until my ministry was gone for a moment. When he took away my schedule... When he took away my evangelistic travels and my missionaries trips and our crusades overseas and, and youth camps or camp meetings and district, di- district functions or whatever it was, the things that were on my schedule just evaporated like that. And God said, now what are you going to pray for? You didn't realize that the foundation of your relationship with me had become your ministry until I took it away. Now what are you going to pray about? I found myself going to a prayer room thinking, well, now what do I say? (laughs) Because it was mainly motivated by God bless that revival at East Wind. And there's nothing wrong with that prayer. But when that becomes my main prayer and my only prayer, God says, I don't want that. I just want you. Mm. But as I remained in that position, that position of pressure, God began to reveal some other things and reveal some things, some giftings and a faith, some things, some good things that I did not realize were there as well. I remember starting a, a journey that I would pray early because the scripture says in their affliction, they will seek me early. And I've told a piece of this, but just hang with me for those of you that haven't heard I remember beginning a journey, a 40-day journey to pray early in the morning. And I remember reading the definition of that word early and it said to diligently seek me early. And it reminded me of the scripture in Hebrews where it says that without faith, it, it is impossible to please God. But it goes on towards the end of that chapter that says that he that believeth in me, he that cometh to me must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him he rewards those who diligently seek him and I remember praying and and on on day one I remember going up this mountain in Oregon driving up this not hiking or riding a donkey going driving up this mountain early about four thirty-five in the morning and I got up there and and I was praying and and uh uh Brother Josh Herring called me and he said, Chris, I got a word from God for you. I said, what is it? He said, when God gives you a dream and you see a bus, it will represent ministry. And I've told a portion of this, but 
I remember five days later after he told me, you will see a bus and a dream and that bus will represent ministry. And then five days later, I'm speaking to my grandmother who tells me, she says, I need you to help me pray about this dream God gave me. And she said, I was sitting on a bus and, and she goes along with the dream. And then all of a sudden, God gives me the interpretation, which was started by the understanding that Josh had given me that the bus would represent ministry. And through that, God gave me every detail of that dream. And I was able to minister to my grandmother. Say, Grandma, the bus is your ministry. And the reason why the bus didn't stop in your dream at your prescribed stop when you thought you were supposed to get off is because when Papal died back in 2011, you thought your ministry was over. But God said, your ministry's not over. It's going to change, but it's going to keep on going. I said... In her dream, she got anxious and nervous and afraid that she wasn't able to get off the stop where she was supposed to get off. She thought that because her husband had died, that she couldn't, she's no longer a pastor's wife anymore. So what is she going to do with her life? My ministry must be over. God said, no, 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 no. I've got years of ministry left for you. I said, and grandma, when you got so afraid that the bus didn't stop, and so you went to yell at the bus driver, and the bus driver wasn't there. I said, that's because a man ain't driving your bus. Scripture said, no man has seen God at any time, and it is the Spirit of God that is driving that bus. And I said, and Grandma, remember in your dream you felt that urge to look over to your left, and you saw that man, and, and you felt that, that desperation to, to tell him to read Acts 2.38. I said, the reason why you felt that is because you think that now that you're not a pastor's wife anymore, and you can't do what you used to do, and you can't, you can't disciple all these, these people anymore, and you, you can't plant the seed, and water the seed, and nurture the seed, and watch it grow, that your ministry doesn't mean anything anymore, and you feel insecure because all you can do is plant the seed. I said, but the Lord told me to tell you that when you get off this bus, someone else is going to get on that bus uh, and they're going to pray him through to the Holy Ghost. Uh, someone else will get on that man's bus and baptize him in the name of Jesus. I said, you just do the best with what God has given you to do. And I said, and Grandma, in your dream, when you got off the bus and, and you saw that big building and you heard that lady calling your name from a distance and you turned around and you were so confused, what's going on? I said, that was the Lord saying, when your ministry does come to an end and I allow you to get off this bus, there will be somebody calling your name for your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. I have never interpreted a dream and please don't line up to tell me your dreams tonight. I have never once in my life interpreted a dream. I can't even make sense of my own dreams. And now all of a sudden, God squeezes something out of me and says, you didn't know that was there. You see, we want the position. It's okay, nod your head. You don't have to say amen. Just, just give me a little, yeah, I do want the position. Man, I want the promotion. <laughs> yeah, I do want to be called and labeled this because... The position gives me affirmation and makes me feel like I'm doing good. But why was it? Why was it that God gave Pharaoh the position and Moses the promise? He stripped Moses of his position. 
40 years later, here's a promise. In in Exodus chapter 9, God speaks to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, you you think you're in charge of all this? He says, "Let let me show you behind the scenes, Pharaoh. He says, I raised you up. In fact, he says, y'all might remember this from a couple weeks ago. He says, Pharaoh, I could have sent a pestilence into your nation. Pestilence. Hebrew defined as a fatal epidemic or disease. Pharaoh, I could have sneezed on your nation and given you all some worse than a coronavirus. I could have given you all such a disease. He said, but here's the problem. It would have killed you. And Moses is over there sitting like, that'd be pretty good to me. Wouldn't mind that. We're trying to get out of here. I don't care what happens to them. And God says, but I didn't want to kill you. He said, I raised you up. Oh, church. Hey, y'all just stay quiet over there. Stay down. Stay humble. Stay meek. Stay low. Here you go, enemy. Let me lift you up for a moment. Let me give you the position. Let me promote you. You ever been frustrated when the ungodly prosper? It's okay. Do we have any honest Pentecostals here tonight? If I'm putting you to sleep, we'll get the guitar up here and we're all singing, shout, and go home. You ever been frustrated because you prayed and fasted? But you got fired and they got promoted? Well, that is in the Bible. Did you know that uh, uh, Jeremiah, he he laments about the prosperity of the wicked. Did you know that, and I'm just going to paraphrase and skim through this very quickly. In Psalm 73, from the New Living Translation, verse 1, it says, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. I almost fell. I almost slipped. He says, my feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. (laughs) They don't have troubles like other people. I'm reading the Bible. Psalm 73 and 5. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. Watch this. This is the Bible, not my notes. So don't get mad at me. He says, these fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. I know you ain't angelic apostolics never said that, but you may have felt it bunch of fat cats they got everything they want man i got a rental car yesterday this side note i got a rental car yesterday you know it's so funny because you don't appreciate a car that just starts up like that until you got a car that you're just sitting there thinking in jesus name in jesus name you don't appreciate a car that automatically starts up with a push button until you call AAA and they say uh, sorry, but you've already used up all of your AAA access for the year. Find help yourself. They go, all right, well, help us, Lord. And I think these fat cats driving in their cars, they just start all the time. 
goes on and says, they scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. Verse 9, they boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know? They ask. Does the Most High even know what's happening? Now, you've never thought that before. It got real quiet right there. Verse 12, look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Still reading the Bible. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. Verse 16, so I tried to understand why. The wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Here it is, verse 17. Then I went into your sanctuary. I was frustrated because the prideful got their promotion and position. Then I decide to get positioned. When I don't get a position, I'll let you position me. I went into your sanctuary, oh God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they're destroyed, completely swept away by tears. When you arise, oh Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Watch this verse, 21. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was torn up inside when I was frustrated because of the process I realized that it was ah. I realized that it wasn't the pastor picking on me I realized it was conviction that you were putting in my heart (laughs) just last week Preached a pastoral installation on his first service as a pastor. He gets a phone call or a text message. Not even a phone call anymore. A text message. Sorry, pastor, but didn't really like the things you had to say today. Don't know if we'll be coming back. First service. Pastor, welcome to ministry. A little bit later, he calls him after praying and crying. Calls them with passion and love. Says, what can I do? What did I say? I'm sorry. And they said, you know what, Pastor? We prayed when we got home and we realized it wasn't you. It was God convicting us. This writer said, I realized it wasn't God's problem. It was my problem. I realized my heart was bitter and I was torn up inside. I was foolish and arrogant and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet I, oh Jesus, I'm about to throw up in. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to your glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He 
is mine forever. Watch this. Watch this. Next verse. The prosper, uh, uh, the, the wicked might prosper, but those who desert him will perish. For you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone the wonderful things you do. I may not get the position, but God put me in position in your presence. Let me show you, and I feel the touch of prophecy in this place right now. He said in Deuteronomy 8. I led you through the wilderness. I let you hunger. I took care of the outside. I'm so sorry, but we got to see it. We got to renovate it outside here. This is the outside of the church. Oh, we're inside, but this is the building. Man, God, you protected the outside. It's gotten even better. But you tested the inside. He goes on in verse 7 and says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. Verse 9, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the God, for the good land which he has given you. Go to verse 11 real quick. Beware that you do not forget the Lord. Remember at the beginning, remember it said, but now it says, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his words, his judgments, and his statutes, which I commanded you today. Verse 12, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied. And all that you have is, somebody say it, multiplied. Now you, you, can, you can write me off, but you haven't yet. Bishop, I feel the Lord has positioned this church for an exponential revival and harvest of growth where God's not going to add He's going to multiply. Here's the problem. Real quick. This is why we must remember what God has done. Verse 12, it says, Lest, lest when you have eaten and are full. See, there's one thing that can destroy us, and that's the lust of the flesh. But there's another thing, and that's the lust of the flesh. We all have a lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is this. When he brings me into that land, I forget 
where he brought me from. <laughs> I feel like the Lord has brought me here tonight to let you know that he has positioned you for such a time as this. I reiterate in verse 13, he says, because when your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and gold multiply, and all you have is multiplied. Your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought you water for you out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna with which your fathers did not know that he might humble you that he might test you to do you good in the end then you say in your heart my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth I speak as humbly as I can to let you know we have gone through hell together we have weathered the storm together. And under the unction of the Holy Ghost, I tell you, we are at the end now. We're here. Multiplying is about to take place in this church. Very quickly in Psalm 66 and 10, it says, For thou, O God, hast proved us. See, this is our prayer now. You proved us. You tested us. We're ready. We're battle tested. We're ready. Somebody say we're ready. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net. Notice he captured us. He arrested us. Thou laidst affliction upon our loins. Don't blame the devil. God knew exactly what he was doing. You God laid... Affliction, a tight place upon us. Here it is, verse 12. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. You ready, east wind? We went through the fire and through the water, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place ah Jesus I thought I was going to start with this but I come to a close with the prophetic word of the Lord this church has gone through the fire you have gone through the flood you have gone through the storm you have marched through the valley it was not the devil it was not the world. It was not government. God was leading you through the wilderness so that when we get into the good land, when he positions us for the miraculous, we will remember it was the Lord. Just for a moment, lift up your hands and pray in the Holy Ghost. 
Hikondoria Satarabosokotoraba. I see a squeezing happening right here. I see the Lord squeezing out giftings and callings. I see the Lord bringing to the surface an anointing that you didn't realize was there. I see a multiplication of harvest. I see the latter rain and the former rain coming together seven times, seven times greater. I see it. I see it in my spirit. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. I feel an anointing rising. I feel a calling rising. I feel a faith rising. I feel it. It's here. You are positioned. It's time to go forward. I feel it. I feel it. I feel it in the Holy Ghost. It's here. You're ready. You're ready. You're ready. You're ready. Lord, your prophetic anointing is here tonight. Release it into our spirit. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for running from the affliction. Forgive me for avoiding the pain. But here I am. Squeeze it out of me. Bring it to the surface. What you have prepared. Everybody stop praying for just a moment. Keep your eyes closed and just let the Lord minister right now for them for a moment. Just let the Lord minister to you right now. Come on, just let the Lord minister to you for a moment. As your eyes are closed, I want you to just open your heart right now. God has brought you into a tight place. The spirit of insecurity and condemnation would withdraw you from his presence and his purpose because you would say, but I didn't do what I should have done. 
I didn't do what I should have done in that time of affliction. That's why I was transparent tonight and told you when we went through our affliction, I didn't handle it the way I assumed I would have as a man of God. The enemy would want to rob me of what the Lord has prepared for me with condemnation and fear saying, you didn't handle that the way you should have. You didn't live it the way you've been preaching it. But the devil is a liar. Scripture says when our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. He knows the battle you have been facing. He knows the depression. He knows the distress. He knows the pressure. He knows. And I feel under the unction of God's spirit, you're in a window of grace right now. You're in a window of grace right now where the Lord says, I understand. I understand. I understand. I understand. That's why I robed myself in flesh. I was tried on every side. I was tempted. I was afflicted. I was persecuted just like you so that I could understand and that you could trust my grace. Some of you don't trust his grace. You don't trust his grace. That's why Paul, who killed Christians, he could write that the Lord spoke to him and said, no, Paul, I will not take you out of that position. I will not take you out of that pressure. I will not take you out of that affliction. But my grace is sufficient my great my grace is enough for you in this time of affliction for my strength is made perfect you know what the original translation says my strength works best in your weakness I positioned you revealing your weaknesses so that my strength could begin to operate in this church. This church is about to enter. In fact, I say it, I, 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 I want to say that again. This church has entered an unprecedented time. We're already here. And I'm not talking about COVID. I'm not talking about bad news. I'm not talking about sickness, death, chaos, riots, none of that. I'm talking about in the heavenlies. This church has just entered into an unprecedented time. This church is about to host a crusade in the month of March, unlike this church here in Palm Bay or this city or this region has ever seen before. But I speak a word to this church that what takes place in March, I believe it's March 19th, will not be an event. It is now our new identity. For when events are done and over with, we regress to who we used to be. But what takes place in that month of March, that crusade and that harvest of souls, and not just the harvest of lost souls, but the empowerment of the saints, that's you. 
the releasing of the body, that's you, is going to walk us into a new identity where we will never go back to who we used to be. I feel the Lord urging somebody, maybe this church as a whole, saying, don't go back and don't stay here. Don't go back. Don't stay here. Go forward. Would you lift up your hands right now and just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost? That says, for me and my house, I will go forward. I will go forward in the Holy Ghost. I will go forward in the Holy Ghost. I'm through preaching. I'm through ministering. Why doesn't somebody come to this altar and praise the Lord for a moment? Come on. Why don't you come to this altar and say, Lord, I declare, I declare, I declare a prophetic anointing to move us forward in the Holy Ghost. We will never be the same, but we will be positioned for the miraculous. As you're praying, I don't want anybody to stop, but I want you to hear this instruction. It's time. We've got to do something different. We can't just pray and go home, pray and go home, pray and go home. No. As we pray here tonight, we have got to allow God to give us a vision in our mind that blows my imagination. I'm not trying to, I have slowed, I'm not trying to hype nobody up. I'm trying to tell you in the Holy Ghost where this church is right now. As you pray tonight, however long you want to pray, when your hands are lifted, your eyes are closed, I want you to allow God to restore His vision in you. To these singers, these musicians, our ministers, can you imagine putting your fingers to the keyboard? And immediately an anointing coming from you. Where people start speaking in tongues for the very first time. As you singers begin to sing the words that we sing every week. These songs unto the Lord. All of a sudden chains are broken. Addictions are broken. People are delivered and set free. Can you you imagine right now in your faith. I'm talking to you saints. I'm talking to you woman of God. I'm talking to you man of God. Can you imagine... Can you imagine a Sunday where you don't sit in the same chair and go to the same spot at the altar and go home? No. But you just start walking around this church and your shadow is cast on somebody and people are healed and delivered instantly. Can you imagine our pastor, Brother Myers, coming to this pulpit, grabbing the microphone? And all of a sudden, an anointing from the Lord begins to move. Where yokes are destroyed. Prisons are open. Where people who didn't even think they would come to church, they sit on the back row with a made up mind, I'm not going to go to the altar. But as pastor just begins to deliver the word of God. 
Lives are transformed. People receive conviction to give their lives wholeheartedly unto the Lord. Can you imagine taking that fire and that anointing with you as you leave these church services? Going to Chick-fil-A or Wendy's or Wawa and walking in and somebody saying, My God, there's something about you. What is on you? There's a glow about you. Uh, there's so- John the Baptist, you got to forgive me. You're dismissed. John the Baptist said... I indeed baptize you with waters unto repentance, but there's somebody who else who's coming. Woo. There's somebody else who's coming. Who I'm not even worthy to touch his shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. There are a lot of people, including myself, I've been filled with the Holy Ghost lacking the fire. How do you know if you've got the Holy Ghost and fire? When someone's on fire, they can't stay silent. When someone's on fire, they can't stand still. They can't stay seated. Oh, and by the way, uh, when someone's on fire, everybody else notices it. When someone's on fire, I'm drawn to that fire. You can feel it. I can feel that fire. I can feel it on you. Can you imagine being baptized with the fire of the Holy Ghost? That when you go into the world, people say, I feel something. There's something different about you. Then lift up your hands. And by the authority of the word of God and by the power of the name of Jesus, I release the fire of the Holy Ghost upon your soul now. This is your time. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. Somebody let the fire fall. Let the fire fall. Let the glory fall. Let the Holy Ghost consume my soul.